Well, the future ain't what it used to be, but it ain't over till it's over. That sounds familiar. It's deja vu all over again, I guess. Yogi Berra. It's the beginning of baseball season. I had to quote Yogi Berra. My favorite Yogi Berra quote is, no one goes there anymore. It's too crowded. <laughs> There's always some kind of uh, twisted meaning to Yogi Berra-isms. And in there, I mean, I, I love these little uh, Yogi Berra expressions. Did he do these on purpose? I don't know. I mean, you wonder if he, he yeah, after a while, started thinking them up because he was getting so much attention for them. But communication, communication requires connection. Communication requires connection. And communication can be difficult because connecting can be difficult. Without connecting, we don't really communicate. Yet you think about it. Think about the things that uh, lead to a failure to connect when we're trying to communicate. Emotion, right? You get flooded with some kind of negative emotion, and it's difficult to communicate. Now, you don't know that at the time. You think, well, I'm raising my voice. They can surely hear me, right? <laughs> or I'm, I'm punctuating my point with emotion, so surely I'm getting through, I'm cracking through, and then you look back on that conversation later and you realize that didn't work. I was speaking English, but I didn't connect, right? Sometimes cultural differences can make it difficult for us to connect. We have different assumptions. So when you're speaking to somebody in a different culture, in our town or in a different country, the things that may be positive assumptions here may be negative assumptions there. Y'all can probably think of examples about that. But without connection, we fail to communicate. Without connection, we fail to communicate. But we are a people of the word. We are a people with a message. We are a people that is tasked, sent with a message. That's what a disciple is. It's to be sent with a message. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you are a messenger. And so if that's true, if it's true that, that you're sent, if you're a messenger, if you're a follower of Christ and you're called to follow him, you're also called to be sent, to be sent right where you are. And so if you're going to be effective, if I'm going to be effective as a messenger of good news, then we need to know how to connect passage I'm about to read from Isaiah is the passage that Jesus reads as he launches his ministry, his three-year ministry. The passage he turns to in the scrolls, in the temple, is this passage. How about that? You get to hear it right now from the Word of God, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day 
of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flock. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. May God bless us today through this His holy word. Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Communicating requires connection. So how do we connect? We connect by earning the right to be heard. We earn the right to be heard. Uh, that, 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 that presupposes something. The idea of earning the right to be heard presupposes that we have a message that's not just ours. All right? So earning the right to be heard first requires a confidence in the message. That there's a message for the people. And they're a people for the message. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be talking about our confidence in the message that's for all people. And we're going to be talking about how we connect people to that message. That's how we earn the right to be heard. First, our confidence that the message we have, the good news, the gospel. The gospel sounds like sort of a religious word, but I'm going to, I'm going to explain to you. This is a very old word that, that isn't just in Scripture. We need to have confidence that our message is for who? Presbyterians? A particular slice of Presbyterians? Maybe you come from a Baptist background. Maybe, maybe it's really just for Baptists. And, and you suspect that only if you're a Baptist Presbyterian, then you have the message, right? I mean, we think this way. Come on, y'all. We, we think this way. We think, you know, my background or whatever, that's the authentic deal, and, and that's where the real message is, and we put these labels on it, right? Don't we? American Christians. Maybe we need to Americanize the world, right? And so we confuse. Maybe we confuse our culture with our message. That's a mistake. But there's a part of the message that is for all people, where we can begin to cut straight the word of God, like, you know, and, and when Paul uses that in Timothy, he's using a, a surgical, he's using a surgical metaphor, a, a scalpel to cut straight, the, to cut away what's cultural from what is transcendent. We have a message of transcendence. And, and as, as you all probably say all the time to one another, we need to imminentize the eschaton, all right? That's what we need to do. Immanentize the eschaton. I'm just messing with you. I'm trying to see if you're awake this morning. I'm trying to see if I'm awake this morning. But actually, that has meaning, and it has meaning for this table. 
We need to bring near the message. That's what it's saying. We need to bring it near. We need to recognize it's a message for all people. Now, if you had, if you discovered penicillin, all right, the person who discovered penicillin kind of did so by accident. What if you, you had penicillin and you realized your children, your family, was healed because of it? Right? Let's just put yourself 150, 200 years ago before penicillin. You discovered it. And it's like there's an infection. Someone's got a, an infected tooth, and here you give them penicillin, and, it's, and it alleviates suffering. Would you hold on to that? Would you just say, this is just ours? You know, it's a private thing. You know what? We don't want to, we don't, we don't want to share, I'm being ironical now, we don't want to share uh, our penicillin because, you know, it's kind of private. It's sort of uncomfortable to share, you know, good news like that to people. It's just, it's just uncomfortable because, I mean, this penicillin, yeah, it, it healed my child and it made us just uh, relieved, but it's kind of a private thing, and it's just uncomfortable to share. Did you know that the gospel, if, if there, there, is a, there are all kinds of, of records of, of the word gospel being used in ancient cultures before Christ. One of the sources of this is, is the, LXS or the LXX, the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is around centuries before uh, Jesus walked on the earth. The Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so you can go to uh, the, 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 the Old Testament, read it in Greek, and you'll find the word for good news. Euangelion. Euangelion is the, is, the, is the word for good, and angel, or angel is God's messenger, right? And an angel is God's messenger, so good messenger, right? Good news. Good tidings. Let me give you an example of um, a, an old ancient use of, of good news. Um, in, in Turkey, in an ancient um, city in Turkey, Prien, it says this on an inscription in, it, it's a stone inscription says, Caesar Augustus was the beginning of good tidings for the world. Okay, so that means Caesar Augustus was the emperor over the world, right? Because the, the, the Roman Empire was the dominant culture, the dominant force and power over all the world. And so good tidings, you can see, is, is not just something transcendent, right, which... When we mostly hear good news, right? We hear this during Christmas, and we think of, we think nostalgic thoughts. We think far away thoughts, right? But you can see that that when Jesus is quoting the good news to the poor, I've come to bring good news to the poor. He's signaling something. There's a connotation here. It's a here and now good news, and it's also a connotation that he has authority. To speak into the times. He has authority over the here and now. Right? A Dutch theologian said there's, there's not an atom of all creation over which our Lord 
who is imminent, preeminent over all, does not claim mine. Right? So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this world is mine. I have the authority to speak over it. I have the authority to speak over the times. This is what Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he quotes this. He says, the Spirit, I'm reading from Luke now, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then verse 20, he says, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. What's that? That's right. <laughs> I know that's kind of slightly irreverent. I'm sorry, but it, it really is kind of a drop the mic moment. Jesus sat down. And what, when he sat down, what is that? Where's the, what's the connotation there? What did, what did God do after he, he, he finished creating all of creation? He sat down. When, when ancient teachers were teaching with authority, they would sit down, right? So he didn't just go sit back down in the crowd. He sat down next to the, to, to the scroll, and, 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 and people began to engage him, asking him questions. And they, they spoke well of him until he pressed them. And the rest of that, you, you should go read the rest of Luke chapter 4. He, 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 there's, there's a place where the people are responding very well to him. They're saying, wow, this is, this is Joseph's son? Is this Joseph's son? This is amazing things he's teaching. He's teaching with authority. And then he presses them into the moment, saying, this good news to the poor, it's on you. It's on me. And it's right now. And then they wanted to run him out of town. You see? Why did I say that? Because I'm delivering the same message to you, and I don't want to be run out of town. We have a responsibility over this message. We have a responsibility. Sometimes people think, well, you know what? It's okay for, for me to believe, right? And it's okay for you not to believe, right? To each his own, live and let live. But then you hear people do this, and they cross the line, and they say, it's not okay for you to share your beliefs with someone else. That's a doctrine of our times. Have you heard that? Right? It's okay for you to believe if you want to believe. It's okay for someone else not to believe if they don't want to believe. But it's not okay for you to share your beliefs. It's not okay for you to project or to, 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 to explain or to, to, co, uh, to, to convince or to persuade somebody else of your beliefs. Now, here's, here's an interesting and very strange contradiction in that statement. That is a belief that you're trying to persuade me of, right? Oh, okay. So you're saying that you believe it's not right for you to share your beliefs with other people. What are you doing to me right now? You're trying to persuade me that your doctrine, that I shouldn't share my belief with somebody else, is somehow polite or somehow good. But what we have is penicillin, folks. Penicillin. Um, a, a message that alleviates suffering. And we're called to be responsible for that now, here and now. It's a little like this. This is what, what people think. They think, you know what? What I do in my house is none of your business, right? That's what they think. They think in terms of beliefs, they think, okay, what I do in my house is none of your business. What you do in your house is, is none of my business. But that's not quite right. You see, our values and our beliefs, they do affect one another. So it's more like this. 
The claim would be more like saying, what I do in my car is none of your business. Well, actually it is. <laughs> actually it is. Somebody ran into me the other day because she was texting and driving. I could see her. I pulled into the lane. I, I, I saw her coming. She was, she was driving really fast. Uh, when I got into her lane, I realized, here she comes, here she comes. Uh-oh, uh-oh, look up, darling, look up, darling, look up. Boom, she hit me. Her head was down. See, what we do in our car affects traffic around us. So what you believe, what I believe, it has a great impact, a public impact. It does matter. And we need to champion what we believe. We need to champion our values. We need to be outward and open with the message because the message is for all people, not just faith-based people or evangelical Presbyterian people or uh, believers. It's for all, and it has implications on all, right? But how do we take that message to people? Well, we have to take people to the message, right? We have to earn the right to be heard. How do we do that? If we have a message for all people, it's not just for people who decided to get up and, and gather together in, in, in fellowship this morning. It's a message that has implications for the ages and for right now. How do we take that message to the people? We have to take people to the message. We have to earn the right to be heard. How? How do we do that? We have to recognize, first of all, that we don't just have ideas. We have ideals. And so ideas have consequences. Good ideas have good consequences. Bad ideas have bad consequences. And so we have an ideal to make our ideas that have good consequences bear out in the here and now. What's happening here in this, uh, not in the kitchen, but what's happening, here in this, what's happening here in this passage is that Jesus is, is alluding to something, an event in the Old, Old Testament, in a practice in the Old Testament. He says, I came to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. What's that? You've heard of Jubilee before, right? Have you heard of the year of Jubilee? It's, it's synonymous with, with Jubilee. The year of the Lord's favor is the Jubilee. So once every generation, uh, there, the people w w during the time when Israel was a theocracy, not during this time, right? That, th this was, that, that was past. They no longer practiced jubilee at this time. Not, not in a strict sense, but there was a, a theocracy at the time. And that means a theocracy is where, you know, it's like, it's, it's like in the Middle East where you have an ayatollah or something like that. You've got somebody who is, is the religious leader, but also the political leader and the economic leader. So just... just Overall, one person over everything. And so, and, and so during that time, they had total control over Israel. And so they were able to say this. This is the year of Jubilee, and so everyone is to return to their ancestral lands. So every, It's like pushing the reset button. If you've accumulated a lot of wealth over here, it's time for you to go back and to start over to, to put every tribe back on the lands where they originally started and put everybody back on the same amount of land and, every, and all the people in each of those tribes back on those and give everybody, it's a reset button, everybody equal opportunity, right? That's what the year of Jubilee was. But what is the day of vengeance or the day of judgment? It says, Jesus says, I came to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance or the day of judgment. This is verse 2. Well, the year of the Lord's favor 
is, think about that, it takes a year for everybody to do that, to, to operate in terms of the year of Jubilee. You've got to pack up everything, you've got to pack up the tents, you've got to move all the camels and all the sheep and everything and whatever else you've got. And you go back to your ancestral lands, and, and, and there you are, the land is, is their, their cash value, right? The land is, is, is the value. And it takes a year. It, it takes people's effort. But the day of the Lord, that's, that's not about people. That's about God's action, all right? So you, you see the difference now. You see the contrast. So what's the significance between the year of the Lord where people are doing something to, to, to reset opportunities, to put things just again, and the day of the Lord where, where God is acting to put things right? What's the difference? Well, the difference is in between the year of the Lord and the day. So Jesus says, I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He only quotes that in Luke chapter 4. That means he's saying we have an opportunity in the church age to put things right by our own action, waiting upon the time when God will put things right. We have an opportunity to do, to do something really good right here and right now in terms of the kingdom of God. We're called to do that. We're called to be his agents of change. We're called to be his agents of justice. Eventually, he's going to do it. What is he going to find us doing when he, when he comes? What will he find us doing? Now, you say, Tim, you, you're sounding like a communist. I mean, you're, no, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm just talking about an Old Testament practice that even at the time was not practiced anymore, even in ancient Israel. Okay, so I'm not advocating the jubilee, that that's the way that we're just, but I am saying there's a principle at work that in a capitalist system in the modern age that is still relevant to us, and we're responsible for it. We are responsible to figure out how to bring more opportunities to people who don't have it. It doesn't mean that we rely upon the government. That's communism. That's Marxism. To step back and say, I'm going to check this box. I'm a taxpayer. I don't have to worry about people across town who are having a hard time of it. I don't have to worry about them. The government is taking care of it. I'm a taxpayer. Forget it. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with my, my deal, right? I've got enough to worry about. And we wonder why we're suffering. We wonder why we lack meaning. We wonder why our lives seem sometimes uh, to be so repetitious and mundane. It's because we're not engaging in the year of the Lord's favor, which is right now. Jesus instituted it with the cross. He said, this scripture is being fulfilled by his ministry, handed over to us. And so if we're not engaged in it, we are going to be restless people, anxious people, looking for meaning, even if we are praising and professing his name until we're engaging in just causes in the here and now, we are not going to be measuring up to our calling. And if you're not measuring up to your calling, you're going to be feeling less than. Somebody said that if you took all the wealth in the world and redistributed it to everybody, that in 10 years it would be back in the same hands, right? Right? Did you follow me? If you took all the wealth in the world, you redistributed it to everybody, in 10 years it would be back in the hands of the people who have it right now. You know, I think there's some truth to that. So we can't fight against human nature. We can't pretend that some people have more abilities than others. 
We can't pretend that, that we're, and, and this is, and Jesus isn't proclaiming, hey, look, we need to create an economy that, that creates equity of outcomes. He's saying we, we need to be responsible for justice, which gives people opportunity, equal opportunities, not equal outcomes. Equal outcomes is about the Politburo, right? Moscow decides how much toilet paper is needed in the Ukraine, all right? I mean, that's just ridiculous. It didn't work. And yet that's what we're hearing in this day and age. We're hearing younger generations are, are, are sort of pining for utopia. They're like sucking in all of these dystopic novels and, and narratives, and they're going, we need utopia, and we need the government to, government to produce it for us. And what I'm saying, what Jesus is saying, what we're called to is the church is called to lead. We're called to step into the gaps. The government is never going to do it. They're never going to do it in the way that we can do it, voluntarily. And so we're called to lead. We're called to lead in a particular way now. Let me, let me finish up. We're called to lead not in terms of power, but in terms of influence. Profound difference. Profound difference. Recently, I just, I just watched some, some kids, um, some students at Duke, um, activist students. They were using European as a pejorative. They were using European as an ad hominem. They were using European as an insult. Right? What is that? It's saying European cultures have been so dominant... And so in a very shady way, they're, 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 it's a racial slur, but it's more directed at, at culture. But what are they saying? Why are they saying that? Why are they saying that? that uh, why are they pointing at European culture? This is coming, y'all. It's coming. This is a trend. Why are people putting down or pointing fingers or disparaging European culture? Why? Because it's been powerful. And when people feel out of power and they feel abused by power, what do they have to do but lash out? So what are we to do? Get defensive? Grow into holy huddles where we all look alike and smell alike and act alike and look alike? Is that what we're supposed to do? When somebody says, you're a privileged person, you're privileged, as an accusation... As if you're being selfish, what are you supposed to do? Get defensive? Be a truly reformed person, right? You know, TRs are, there, there's, uh, are you reformed? Well, you're truly reformed, right? It's the same kind of thing. It's like, yeah, you really, really, you know, so, I mean, this is our elitist. These are different forms of elitism. What are we supposed to do with the resources we have, with the theological heritage we have, with the, the, the rich layer upon layer, uh, generation upon generation of advantages that we've had. What are we supposed to do with it? Feel guilty and give stuff away and then, and then walk away? No. It's not whether you're privileged or not privileged. It's what you do with your privilege. It's not whether or not you have advantages. It's what you do with your advantages. What Jesus is saying is, he's not saying, look, you know, you all have the power to make everything fair. We don't. But you have the influence to create opportunities. And what I'm saying is, this is wrapping it up, what I'm saying is, is that when we step into other neighborhoods and listen 
and be present and don't roll in with all the advantages and all the answers. When we roll in to say, hey, who are you? What, what's your about? What's your story? Tell me about who you are. What people begin to see is, is not people who are rolling over them with a message, but people who want to bring folks that are far from that message to the message. It's cliche, it's trite, but it's true. They don't care how much you know until what? Until they know how much you care. See, it's easy for us when we, if you have advantages like we all do in this room, to just write the check or just have a partner that does things. But if we show up, if we come alongside people, if we're present, if we're proximate with people who are, you know, Jesus, what does he say? He says, I, I, I came to proclaim the good news to whom? To the poor. To the poor. People who are poor in spirit. People who are far from God, even if they're wealthy. To the poor. People who are on the margins of life. When we come alongside them in ways that are feasible and make the, the, the kingdom now and evident and practical, what do they see? They don't have to interpret our words. They can look at our actions and say, these people are for us. The gospel must be good news. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? Action is required. Justice is part of the gospel, not a compartment over there. That's what the table's all about. I'm just going to come on down here. We're going to talk about this for just a second. This table, this bread, this cup is God's eschaton or ultimate destiny for us the kingdom ultimate kingdom imminentized made close transcendence and imminence god's ultimate purposes for humanity and his present purposes for humanity collide here at this table on the cross and so today as you as you come by by the center aisle as you come down you'll take a wafer, you'll dip it into the cup, receive it, and then you'll go back to your, your seats by the side aisles. As you do that, recognize what's happening here at this table. This is God coming near once again. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your goodness to us, for the love expressed and the means of grace represented here and the bread and the cup. Would you uh, transform these elements from their everyday use to a sacred purpose, that as we receive this bread and this cup, we may experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. Amen. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks for it, he gave it to his disciples, he said, take and eat. Whenever you do, remember me, Jesus said. Same way he took the cup, pouring it out, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Not on stone tablets, but poured into your life, written on the tablet of your heart, take and drink. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so Jesus invites you, come to this table. Amen.